Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. We all have stories to tell. Don't you think that's true? Something magical happens when we tell our stories because we end up teaching each other something. We give each other a roadmap and a whole new way of looking at obstacles in our path. And before you know it, we're able to say, if she can do it, I can do it. In the spotlight, a very successful businesswoman whose love for her son has required her to be strong in ways she never could have imagined. His chronic illness has led her down a path that has been both terrifying and inspiring. Her name is Nancy Gaudette Itamini, and this is her story. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 2000 was the new millennium, but it was also a big year for you because your son was born. Can you tell me that story? I waited a really long time to have a baby. My career was a priority and thought that I planned it all well. And finally, in April of 1999, I finally had my first one and only child, Ryan. So he was born in 1999. Yes. How did motherhood change you? It changed the way I looked at my relationships in business, the way I conducted myself in the office. It taught me that you have a full-time job, but when you're a mom, you go home and you also have a part-time job as well. You are a businesswoman and a very successful one at that. Senior Vice President at Corcoran Management. Tell me a little bit about your job. I love my job. It's a career that I love waking up to every day. I've been there for a long time. No two days are ever the same in property management. It's a fun and interesting career, and it has allowed me to use all the talents and education that I worked hard to obtain. The best thing is the people that I deal with every day. I really enjoy that. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, and your education. Where are you from? I am from the North Shore. And I have defected to the South Shore, which is highly unusual. I was going to say, <laughs> here in Massachusetts, that's almost like a mortal sin, you know. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. Well, I grew up in the North Shore in Peabody, Massachusetts, back in the early 60s and uh -huh. 70s. My family has uh, five children. My older sister was diagnosed with diabetes in 1964. I was only four years old, and she was five. So diabetes runs in your family, and that's very much a part of your story. You've been at this company, though, since 1990, mm -hmm. and I'm going to guess that you've seen lots of changes in the marketplace, yes. and in particular, the role of women in leadership positions. I'd have to say that now women definitely have a seat at the table, which is encouraging for younger women, that our voices are being heard. I still work in a very male-dominated industry, in a very male-dominated company. Every other Tuesday, I have a staff meeting with seven guys in the room. And, I and you. And me. <laughs> How do you make sure your voice is heard at the table? I just try to be as direct and authentic as I can. Sometimes they do have dude brain going on. <laughs> In the room. Dude brain. I love that. <laughs> that that has never been mentioned on this show before. So dude brain. Define dude brain for me. Well, you know, they all know about cars and sports stats and movie lines. I don't understand how they they all know movie lines. They can tell you a movie line from Blazing Saddles 
quote the exact line. They're all getting it. And I'm sitting there saying, I have no idea what they're what talking about. What you people are talking about. <laughs> but I bet you're well prepared at those meetings. Yes, usually. Do you feel as if, as a woman in business, in a male-dominated field, that you have to be extra prepared, extra confident? G- give me a little picture of that. I do feel that way. I feel like you have to prove yourself a little bit more sometimes because of the gender issue. And I'm not one of those shouted out there making my point, although I just bought a coffee mug that has a saying on it that says, the future is female, hashtag boss lady. I like that. (laughs) I I like that. (laughs) What kind of changes, though, have you seen when you first got started I'm hearkening back to the 80s when women were almost wearing suits and ties and doing an impression of men. And it took a while before we sort of stood in our own space. That's true. Some of my business involves being on the construction side of things, and there are hardly any women doing that. They should really make hard hats with ponytail holes in the back. That whole industry is changing. And now I see young women. I have a niece that's going to college to be an engineer. I'm excited about the possibilities for women that are millennials nowadays. I think that that's super exciting. Back in the day. You never saw that. No, that never happened. Being a mom and having a career is a huge challenge. How did you do it? And can you pass along some advice Mm -hmm. for a mom listening to this podcast? Well, I have to say the company I work for, it's a family-owned company and families first. I think that if you're the type of boss that knows that someone has a life outside of work and your baby gets sick, you have to stay home that day, you have to juggle a lot, I think that that goes a long way. And I found that the environment that I'm in was conducive to that. I also found that I feel like I timed everything exactly right. I have to say, I did have a checklist before I had a baby. It included catch a big fish, (laughs) get promoted in my job. Was this like your pre-baby bucket list? Yes, exactly. I had a pre-baby bucket list. So it did include making sure that I was at a certain level in my career so that I could go to my son's school events, pick him up after school, and do those kinds of things. So by the time you had Ryan, you were already in a leadership position. You had a a certain amount of clout so that you would be able to make those kinds of things happen for him. Yes. So here he is. He turns nine years old, and your son is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. You had just mentioned that when you were growing up, your sister, when she was a little girl, was diagnosed as well. Take me back to that. Tell me about that moment that you heard those words? First, I'd have to preface this by saying, when my mom used to come into our room when my sister was a kid to give her her shot, I was the one hiding under the covers because I was afraid of needles and I couldn't stand the sight of blood. This is a really strange thing. My son was diagnosed February 28th, 2009, which is on my sister's birthday. So strange how the universe works. And I remember everything leading up to that day. We were on school vacation, visiting friends up in Killington. Ryan was drinking a lot and urinating a lot. He was a snowboarder, and he was leaving the trail to go in the woods a lot because he was drinking so much. And I said to the mom that night at dinner, you know, I think Ryan has diabetes. 
And she said, why in the world would you say that? I said, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling. I think he has diabetes. Those two symptoms that you just talked about are the two top symptoms for juvenile diabetes as well, right? Exactly. Thirst and urgency to urinate, Yes. right? So he had both of those. You make a doctor's appointment. I went to the pediatrician. Sure enough, he was tested. He had type 1. It was probably the first appointment that my husband didn't go to with me. That point of diagnosis for every mom, they remember as if the world stopped and the clock stopped ticking. You are overwhelmed, grief-stricken. It's like someone smacked you in the face and someone died. You know, I hear you say this, and I want to just say one thing, and that is I'm hearing type 1 diabetes, but I'm not hearing cancer. But it's still life-changing, right? Right. It's not cancer, right. And did you think about that? Were you able in your grief to say, thank God it's not something that's going to kill him? But then again, diabetes is very dangerous. Back in the day, one in five kids my sister's age when she was diagnosed died from diabetes. The other thing that struck me was I was furious with God. And I said, why are you doing this to me of all people? All my siblings got married before I did. They all had two or three children. Not one of them had the diagnosis. It was just so not on my radar to have a child with type 1. I didn't think about it. Have you always been a person of faith? Yes. And have I been a person that lacks faith at some times? Yes. Interesting answer. And we'll talk more about your faith coming up when we talk about the retreat that you went to. So where did he receive his care and what happened next? So what happens to every parent when the child gets diagnosed at the pediatrician, they say, pack a bag for the next three days. You have to go to Children's Hospital in Boston in this area and expect to be there for two or three days, sometimes four days. I'll be calling the emergency room to make sure you show up. Of course, I was looking at my planner saying, well, we're supposed to do this this weekend and this this weekend. Can't wait till Monday and uh, can't we just do something else? And they said, no, you have three hours to get yourself to the emergency room. Wow. We did that. And, you know, it's all a blur. I do remember pulling over. My pediatrician was in Plymouth, pulling over on the side of the road, getting out of the car and calling my best friend from the North Shore and crying my head off. You know, there are times like this when I wish that I had a webcam in the studio so that people could see when I look at you, you really have gone back to that moment. Right now, I can see it all over your face. As a mom, how did you control yourself in front of Ryan so that he wasn't scared to death? That was hard. I have to say, I cried in the shower a lot. I cried in the car alone a lot, Mm. as every mom would. Yeah. So you end up at Children's Hospital where you kind of find out the extent of his diabetes. What did you learn? I learned that we caught it at a good stage, that he had probably only had it for a couple of months or several weeks, which was good. Some kids aren't that fortunate. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. A lot of kids present flu-like symptoms. Once their blood sugar gets really high, they start vomiting and stuff like that. And sometimes it's very misdiagnosed, and people don't know that. He had not had that happening. He was just super thirsty. He was thin, so he wasn't losing weight. Losing weight is another thing that presents for kids with type 1. You shared with me that you fell apart, and you've talked about this just now. 
during this diagnosis period. How did you then, as a mom, get past your grief and into action mode? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust TechHelpBoston.com to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Well, I didn't do it right away. I can say that. I was mad at God. I actually couldn't really talk to anybody for a long time about it. A woman in my office, her granddaughter had type 1. She had been diagnosed at 18 months, and she connected me with her daughter who is now into managing her daughter's diabetes for nine years. She's a year older than my son, so she was 10 at the time. So she introduced me to her. Weird how the world works, right? Did God put her in my life? Every six or eight weeks when I went to get my hair done down in Pembroke, I would meet with her and I would go with a list of questions. But she was the only person that I talked to. She was my lifesaver, really. And I'd go with my list of questions to ask her. She'd answer them all. And she was so helpful to me and so gracious to me. You know, it's interesting, Nancy, when we talk about women doing things for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, when we first started the show, I talked about our stories and how important it is to share your story with someone. And this woman shared her story and shared her wisdom with you. What is it about women? I don't know, but it's pretty amazing. And when I tell you about my mom's group, it's just a gift. The one piece of advice that she gave me that I really would want listeners to know is she said to me, if Ryan wants to do something and you want to say no, ask yourself, am I saying no because of diabetes? And if I'm saying no because of diabetes, then I have to say yes. I thought that was really good advice and really scary. The thing that happened in my family is my parents overprotected my sister. They treated her like she was ill. And back in the day, they didn't have the technology and the resources we have today. She never played sports. She never went to her prom. She never went to college. She never got her driver's license. So really, when I say... It was a death sentence for me. So it's almost like they put her in a bubble. Exactly. Exactly. That was so scary to me to watch that growing up because I was the second born and they were always saying, well, you can't get your license till Ellen gets her license. You can't do that till your sister does that. So in a way, it shaped how I did things. Fortunately, I'm a rule breaker instead of a rule follower. and And thank God for that. I I do thank God for that, and I hope Ryan thanks me for that, because then when he came around and this happened to us, I thought, I'm not going to do it that way. I can't do it that way. I owe him more than that. Type 1 diabetes requires daily testing and medication and care. Tell me what it was like as you and your family adjusted to this whole new routine and lifestyle. 
Well, it was a little bit difficult. Fortunately, he was at a Montessori school down the street from my office. So I was able to go over and check him at lunchtime and give him insulin if he needed it. But there was not a school nurse there. We had to think about everything. Babysitters, people helping us, counting carbs, doing insulin every time you eat something, making sure that he doesn't feel like the weird kid in school. Mm. It was my husband's idea to try to find some positive silver lining to this and try to get him involved in something that he would have to manage his diabetes. So what happened then and what did you find? This is a strange story. A friend called us and said, you got to come up to Gloucester and see this really cool bike race. There's a bunch of guys racing in mud and Ryan might really dig this. We went up to Gloucester, went to a bike race, got Ryan a cowbell. So there's a guy there racing with a team type one race kit on. There's Ryan on the sidelines, 10 years old, ringing the bell, screaming his head off. Go team type one, go team type one. And I'm thinking, this is a miracle. The next year, we signed him up to race in that very same race in the kids race. And bike racing became our life from middle school to high school. How amazing is it to watch your child connect like that and realize this could be his way of truly expressing himself and supporting a cause that matters to him? Right. I'm telling you, it was like a miracle. Wow. I still didn't go back to church, though, and I was still mad at God, but that's okay. <laughs> you turned helpless into helpful by becoming an advocate for families dealing with diabetes. Tell me about your volunteer work and these mothers' groups. I really was desperate to meet other moms that felt like me. I felt like I was alone. And so that one mom that helped me, I said, you know, would you be willing? I have some space. We could meet at one of our apartment communities. It's free space. Would you be willing to? That's right. Here you are. You're the senior vice president of a real <laughs> estate management company. So I'm guessing there's plenty of space for you somewhere out there. Right. So For meetings. So we <laughs> picked a space in Hanover because that was kind of in between Cape Cod and Braintree and Boston or whatever, advertised with JDRF in their newsletter. And tell us what JDRF stands for. JDRF stands for Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Their main office in this area is in Wellesley. They do all kinds of programs for families. In March, they have a Type 1 Nation Summit coming up in Boston where other families can meet and connect. They have seminars and educational courses for parents while the kids can go and play and meet other kids. It's really a great organization. After I was mad for a whole year or two, I decided to start the Moms Group to meet other people, get busy, and get involved at the same time that Ryan was then managing his diabetes and bike racing. And we knew that he couldn't race his bike if he didn't manage his diabetes. So those two things kind of happened at the same time. And I say to other moms out there, if all you can do is volunteer your time at the gala that they have every year, then that's a great way to give back. You don't have to start a mom's group. But if you want to start a mom's group, there are tons of moms out there that are willing and wanting to share. I just realized the other day it's been eight years that my mom's group has been meeting the last Wednesday of every month down in Hanover. So we have some original members that still come faithfully every month. I'll always invite new members and tell other moms to reach out. 
We also started a closed Facebook group. There's 128 moms on that group. You know, you have mentioned being mad for a few years, you said. Hmm. Isn't anger fear? Yes, anger is definitely fear. And I was terrified. Here he is now, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. He's in college. Yes. He's independently monitoring himself. He's been able to live his life with type 1 diabetes. You attended a retreat recently that changed your life. It did. Talk about it. It was called Rise Up Retreat, and it was for women in transition. So I decided I should go since Ryan has now left my nest and off to college. I was trying to figure out what am I doing with the rest of my life. I went to that retreat, and actually that's what made me realize that I probably needed to go back to church. We took a look at our lives and drew this circle, and I had definitely no spirituality in my life. When Advent started at Christmas time, I went back to church. And how has that changed your perspective on your life now? I started opening my eyes and my ears and thinking maybe things do happen for a reason. And maybe there are no coincidences. Maybe they're just God instances. And that maybe my work isn't over. That... If I can help one mom or reach out to somebody else that feels overwhelmed and afraid and alone when they hear that their kid is diagnosed, then maybe that's my purpose. Whoever would have thought that you can be seen riding your bike along the Cape Cod Canal, you are going (laughs) to ride 100 miles this year? For one of the JDRF road races? Yes. Talk to us about that. I decided to do something really big when I turned 55 a couple of years ago. So this is my will be my fourth ride. My first ride, I decided I wanted to do something big, uh, raise some money. And since my son was a bike racer, I have to say, he did say to me, Mom, you realize that you're 55 and you don't know how to clip in the pedals. No offense, but I'm not sure you can ride your bike 100 miles in one day. And of course, being the person I am, I said, really? (laughs) Watch Watch me. me. (laughs) Exactly. But I have to say, the first ride was not successful. At that point in time, Ryan had done 120 bike races with diabetes. He had joined Team Novo Nordisk, which is an all-diabetes bike team that their mission is to inspire, educate, and empower others with type 1. He had never DNF'd, which is did not finish, in all the bike racing he did. So the thing that killed me most is that I did not finish. I only made 77 miles the first year, and I had a medical emergency. I ended up getting hyponatremia, landing in the ER overnight. I had made some rookie mistakes, drank too much water, and flushed all the sodium out of my body. But the interesting thing is the next year, Ryan became my coach. He taught me how to drink better, what to drink, what to eat. used to quiz me about how many miles I rode and what I ate and really turned it back to me after all those years of us supporting him bike racing every weekend. What has been the lesson here in this story, Nancy Gaudette? If I can do it, anybody can do it. And, you know, to me, the idea of him becoming your coach 
is pretty unbelievable. If he were sitting right here with us for this interview, what would he say about his experience as someone living with type 1 diabetes? He would say that it gave him lots of opportunity that might not have happened. I think he feels a lot of gratitude about that. He would probably also say that it made him grow up fast. He's more mature than the average person. You know, having diabetes allowed him to travel with the bike team, allowed him to go to Spain and to Belgium. And believe me, the first time I put him on a plane by himself with his bike and his diabetes supplies, he was 15 years old. And I asked myself, am I saying no to go to Belgium because he has diabetes or because he's 15? Why am I saying no? And so you said yes. I said yes. Next couple questions we ask everyone who sits where you are today. Can you talk to a young woman who is just getting started in her career? What do you wish you knew, Nancy, when you first got started 30 years ago? I wish that I knew that you're the only person that can pedal the bike. Your life is what you make it. That career is important, but your family is just as important. And it is a juggling act, but you can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. What do you wish you knew on the day Ryan was diagnosed? And can you talk to a young mom who's facing the same sort of a diagnosis and is looking down a road she has never traveled before? I wish I knew that it was going to be hard, but that it was doable, that it would get easier, that things would be a routine. I wish someone said to me, it's okay to be sad about it. It's okay to be grief stricken. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed that those are all normal things to feel when something like this happens to you. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I often say, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it if I die trying. Best advice you have ever received in your life? Be yourself and be authentic. I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. Success means different things to different people at different times and chapters in their lives. At this moment where you are in your life right now, how do you measure success? I think that if I can touch just one mom and make her not feel alone, then that's success for me. I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today on the story behind her success. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?